<coughs> okay. We're in our And God series. We go on to King Hezekiah. King Hezekiah. We're in 2 Chronicles. 2 Chronicles, chapter number 29. To begin. The important part of this story has to do with uh, the breaking up of the kingdom. We have the Sea of Galilee and the Dead Sea and the Mediterranean. There's a break there. And Jerusalem uh, is the capital of Judah, the southern kingdom. And Samaria is the capital of the northern kingdom that was called Israel. All right, this has become important tonight as we get into the explanation. <clears throat> the kingdom split just after Solomon because his son Rehoboam was an idiot, and there's no other words for it. And Solomon said, what good is it to leave everything you got to your son, and he's an idiot. And he said... <laughs> And he met that. And so the kingdom split under his horrible uh, attempt to rule. And so it was split ever after that. Every king in the north was all evil. We saw Ahab last week in the northern kingdom. These guys were bad apples. In the southern kingdom, it's kind of a strange thing. They had a couple good ones towards the beginning. And then... It was almost, here's a bad one, the next one's a good one, the next one's a bad one, the next one's a good one. And uh, that's about what we're, we're about to look at here tonight. Uh, chapter uh, 28 of Second Chronicles, I want to show you this. Um, chapter 28, because I want to look at Hezekiah's father just for a minute. Verse 23, he sacrificed to the gods of Damascus, which smote him. And he said, because the gods of the kings of Syria helped them, therefore I'll sacrifice to them that they may help me. So he got beat by Syria in battle, so he started worshiping the gods of Syria. But they were the ruin of him and of all Israel. And Ahaz gathered together the vessels of the house of God, cut in pieces the vessels of the house of God, shut up the doors of the house of the Lord, and made him altars in every corner of Jerusalem. And in every several city of Judah, he made high places to burn incense to other gods and provoked the anger to anger the Lord God of his fathers. So this guy was just bent on doing everything wrong he could. He's determined to shut the house of God up, close the doors, take everything out, and then stick an altar for anything in the world, anywhere, all around. This is Hezekiah's father. Now, chapter 29 Verse 1, Hezekiah began to reign when he was 5 and 20 years old. He reigned 9 and 20 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Abijah, the daughter of Zechariah. And he did that was right in the sight of the Lord, according to all that David, his father, had done. So how did that happen? Your father is absolutely a dud, no good, bad, evil, doing everything against God, even closing the doors of the temple. And your son does everything like his father, not his immediate father, but his great-great-great-great-grandfather, David. He does everything that's right in the sight of the Lord. How does that happen? How does the father be so bad and the son turn out so good? You wonder about it. Well, the answer, we read the answer. In verse 1, his mother's name was Abijah. Had to be mom. Had to be mom. Raised him and say, you're not going to be like your father. We're going to treat you and teach you right. And so we find that through the scriptures where mothers extremely uh, influential on their children. Hannah, for example, we saw. And uh, Samuel. And so here we can't figure out how anybody could be so bad like the father of Hezekiah. And then he comes along, he's 25 years old, 
and he knows exactly what to do, and he does the right thing. It's got to be mom, and that's why her name is mentioned. Uh, it's important that uh, she got nothing else but that, but uh, how would you like to be the mother of Billy Graham? <laughs> <laughs> like to be that mother, right? I'd like to be the mother of, uh, you know, Charles Wesley. I mean, these people who raise these kind of children deserve a great deal of credit, and it's important to note that as we start this, because he's about to take off and really do it right. Here we go, verse 3. He, in the first year of his reign, in the first month, opened the doors of the house of the Lord and repaired them. Now, his father had nailed them shut. He didn't want the house of the Lord. He even tore the place apart. But he opened the doors, repaired, and brought in the priests and the Levites and gathered them together into the east street. And he said unto them, Hear me, ye Levites, sanctify now yourself. Sanctify the house of the Lord of our fathers. Carry forth the filthiness out of the holy place. Who knows what was in there? Idols or whatever they had in there. For our fathers have trespassed and done that which was evil in the eyes of the Lord our God, have forsaken him, turned away their faces from the habitation of the Lord, and turned their backs. And they have shut up the doors of the porch, put out the lamps, have not burned incense, nor offered burnt offerings in the holy place unto the God of Israel. Therefore the wrath of the Lord is upon Judah and Jerusalem. He hath delivered them to trouble and astonishment to hissing as you see with your eyes. For lo, our fathers have fallen by the sword. Our sons and our daughters our wives are in captivity for this. Now is in mine heart to make a covenant with the Lord God of Israel that his fierce wrath turn away from him. My sons, be not now negligent for the Lord has chosen you to stand before him to serve him that you should minister unto him and burn incense. All the things that were supposed to be done in the temple, there's a lot of things to do in their temple, more than we have by a long shot. They're supposed to be burning incense, making two sacrifices a day. They shut the doors and do any of that. They're supposed to have bread every day on the table, the table of showbread. They're supposed to be burning incense, make sure the candle never goes out, and all that was closed and shut, and all the priests went home. We got nothing to do. We can't, we can't do what we're working. He calls them back. He said, we're going to get this thing going. So I expect you to clean the place up and get it going. And so <clears throat> he does. He really turns it around. Now, go down a little bit to uh, uh, verse 20. This is... Interesting. Then Hezekiah the king rose early, gathered the rulers of the city, went up to the house of the Lord. And they brought seven bullocks, seven rams, seven lambs, seven he goats for a sin offering for the kingdom, for the sanctuary, and for Judah. And he commanded the priests, the sons of Aaron, to offer them on the altar of the Lord. And so he says, we're, the first thing we're going to do is make sin so he's going to do what we would call revival. You've heard that term used in a lot of different ways. He's going to revive religion, bring people back to God, get things going again the way they need to go. And he says we're going to start cleaning it up first, right? Clean it. And then he says we're going to make sin offerings for country and for the temple alright we're going to make sin offerings so there's 7 times 4 is 28 sin offerings that they make. we're going to start there it's the first thing you're going to do and he leads it and brings them in and they sacrifice asking forgiveness of God alright so the way a revival starts you're going to say we're going to turn this thing around and we're going to ask forgiveness. That's where we got to start. we got to ask for forgiveness. Why? Because the church is dead. There's nobody in it. Nothing's going on. Church is not functioning anymore. Now, <clears throat> let's go down 
to verse 31. So they've come in, cleaned the place up, straightened it out, uh, made their sin offerings. Now once the sin offerings are made and God has forgiven, then verse 31. Hezekiah answered and said, Now you have consecrated yourself to the Lord. Come near and bring sacrifices and thank offerings to the house of the Lord. And the congregation brought in sacrifices and thank offerings, as many were of a free heart, burnt offerings. And the number of the burnt offerings which the congregation bought was three score and ten, that's seventy, a hundred rams, a hundred and seventy, two hundred lambs, three hundred and seventy. All these were for a burnt offering unto the Lord, and the consecrated things were 600 oxen and 3,000 sheep. So if you add those numbers up, it's 3,970 offerings. That's quite a few offerings, right? Quite a few offerings. The purpose of those offerings was now that we've asked forgiveness, how we will approach God. We will say thank you to God and burn offerings, whole burn offerings. You take the whole animal, put it on the altar and burn the whole thing. Those were meant to say, I give myself to you, Lord. I'm yours. I'm all yours. So take the sacrifice, put it on the altar, and burn it all up. And so they did 3,970. It's a good number, quite a few, uh, for people that hadn't sacrifice probably in their whole life, 397 thank offerings to express themselves as thankful and a desire to live for God, to say to God, I'm all yours. And so he's really turning things around. Kick back a couple verses of 28. And the congregation, or 27, Hezekiah commanded to offer burnt offerings on the altar. When the burnt offerings began, the song of the Lord began, also with the trumpets, instruments ordained by David, king of Israel. And all the congregation worshiped, and the singers sang, and the trumpeters sounded, and all this continued till the burnt offering was finished. So they're really doing it right. We're going to. Give thanks to God and tell God I'm yours and you ought to be having music. <laughs> we need music. And music is that thing that God has given to humans where we can really say things to God and it helps us. And I have certain music that I listen to at certain times because it just sets me right off. I love it. I love it. I listen to it and chills go up and down my spine. And I think this is the way God meant it to be. And so it's a real turnaround from the doors being shut and the whole place shut down to this. And it says, verse 36, Hezekiah rejoiced in all the people that God had prepared the people for the thing was done suddenly. They cleaned the whole place made these offerings and turned it around in 16 days. 16 days. That's a pretty drastic change in 16 days. And we look at what we call revival. What we say, you know, God needs to revive the church. We hear that a lot. I've been here for 32 years watching people and, uh, <laughs> and one of the things that is most clear is that people come and go. People come and people go. Uh, and that it's very easy, and this is the real issue, it's very easy to drift away. Some people come two or three times and you never see them again. Some people come for a couple months and you don't see them again. And you get people who come on and off for a year or two. And you do get people who come for several years and then just disappear off the face of the earth. And we get that all the time as we watch things. <coughs> and Hezekiah, as a leader, is going to say, let's turn this around. 
all right? Let's get this turned around. Now, his father was a great deal of the issue, problem, because his father encouraged people not to go to church. Said, don't go. We don't want you to go. And whenever that happens, uh, it's easy for people to what I would call break a habit. Well, I go to church because that's what you're supposed to do. So he suddenly decided, oh, I don't think I will today because this chair feels good. For whatever reason. I'm not going to go today. And you break the habit of worship. And so I see that, and now we've had an extreme case of it, haven't we? We've seen COVID, where we can't even come. And we've had those situations, and uh, break the habit of attending. And then can we get it back? Can we come back? Some people won't. Some people never will. Because they've broken the habit. of. Now, here's what bugs me. <laughs> and I'm sure this is part of what Hezekiah is doing. Is It's more than a habit. I want going to church and worshiping God to be a habit. Why don't you just say, let's do it. Yeah, I'm going to do it. It's what I do all the time. Every Sunday I go to church. That's good. That's good. But... Uh, it is more than forming a new habit. There is a necessity of worship. It is a necessity that we get back to God, that we go and say, what kind of sins am I in, and can I get those forgiven? And then say to God, yeah, I'm all for you. I'm thankful for what you do for us. And I want to make the burn offerings, and they make over 3,000, almost 4,000 burn offerings that say I'm completely belong to the Lord. All right? And what did he do? Well, he opened the doors and had the singers singing, and they had the priests come in. And one of the situations that they had was there's not enough priests to do all the work all of a sudden. And because they all got sent home. Priests and Levites uh, were divided into three or four courses. They called them courses. And so it was like a family tree. So if you're part of this part of the family, uh, you come for three months from January, February, March. If you're that part of the family, you come April, May, June, and so on. And they split them up into different courses. And that way they'd come and work and they could go home take care of their families. But what's happening with these priests uh, is their um, uh, livelihood is gone. They're supposed to get their, their uh, wages from the temple. Shut the temple and they're all starving. So they all got to go home and live like everybody else, they can't go to Jerusalem because that's their livelihood. And so you shut the temple, and the priesthood has died off. All right, they're 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 spread out all over. So uh, one of the things Hezekiah says, you got to come back, and they get them to come back, and not enough of them come back. So then he reaches out to them because he's really a good king, and he says. Uh, if you're a priest and, and you're starving, we're going to put an end to that. We're going to supply your needs from now on. Now these priests will start to come back and take care of things. So he's really put it together. The necessity of worship should call you back. It shouldn't be just a habit. Yeah, I'm glad it's a habit. We want to have good habits and we should make them habits, but it's more than that. If it's just reforming a new habit, why? It's, I'm hungry for God, hungry for the things of God and for being with God's people, gathering together, singing. Right? These people were thrilled, thrilled to finally get to go back and do what was right. And so the revival reaches out to all sorts of people 
and all different reasons who have been shut out of the church, and now they're coming back, and the, the group is growing, and he's really on the right track. And so how did he know how to do that? He listens to God, and he follows the Lord's instructions. Now what he's about to do is just amazing. Nobody ever thought of it before. Nobody thought of it before. And you'll see the response to it is what you might think. Uh, let's take a look now. Chapter number 30. Chapter number 30. Starting at verse uh, number 1. Hezekiah sent to all Israel and Judah, wrote letters to Ephraim and Manasseh, that they should come to the house of the Lord of Jerusalem to keep Passover unto the Lord God of Israel. For the king had taken counsel and his princes and all the congregation in Jerusalem to keep Passover in the second month. Now, Passover is not supposed to be in the second month, but they couldn't get the priesthood in there in time. And so he says, we'll just have it when as soon as we can. He sends letters to Ephraim and Manasseh. Now, here's what happened. Hezekiah here, he's the king in Jerusalem, king over Judah, and he's four years king. So he's just started this revival and got it going. And then uh, at the fourth year, the Assyrians come down and lay siege to Samaria, the capital of the northern kingdom. And for a little over a year, they lay siege, and then they tear that place apart, and it's gone. There is no more Samaria. The capital of the northern kingdom was hauled off captive to Assyria. And so the country of Israel, there's no more government there, there's nothing. But there's still people there. Now, uh, up here, Manasseh and Ephraim, up in these northern sections up here, there were people. Of course, Samaria, that's gone. Nothing left. So the kingdom fell. But there were people who weren't included in the attack because they're quite a ways away, all right? So they come down, attack Samaria, and then uh, they leave farmers and people out in the outskirts of the country. And they just leave them there. And Hezekiah says, let's invite them down for Passover. Understand, it's been 12, 13 generations since they've gone to Jerusalem. They were told in the beginning of that kingdom, don't go to Jerusalem. We'll make some gods for you. And they made a god down here in Bethel and in Dan, Golden Calf, and uh, that's where they worshipped. Nobody in Israel had gone to Jerusalem for probably 10 or 12 generations. Nobody had been there. Now they get a letter, come on down. Now when Jesus was in Israel doing his preaching and teaching, uh, they all went. Galilee, which was this became called Galilee, uh, those people went to Jerusalem all the time. Jesus traveled with his own people down to Galilee. And that was the regular event, is that three times a year, they're going to make the trip from Galilee down to Jerusalem. But when these kings were on the throne, they had shut that down. And so nobody, not your father, your great-grandfather, your great-great-great-great-grandfather, and his grandfather had been to Jerusalem. Hezekiah says, let's invite everybody. Get them all down here. Send an invitation right up to their house and let's have them come down. Verse number six. 
So the post went with the letters from the king and the princes throughout all Israel and Judah according to the commandments of the king, saying, You children of Israel, turn again to the Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel. He will return the remnant of you that are escaped out of the hand of the kings of Syria. These are the people that, because they weren't near the capital, were left alone. Be not like your fathers and like your brethren which trespassed against the Lord of their fathers who therefore gave them up to desolation as you see. Now be not stiff-necked as your fathers are, but yield yourself to the Lord. Enter into his sanctuary which he has sanctified for you. Serve the Lord with the fierceness of his wrath may turn away from you. So he says, come on down. Don't be stiff-necked. Don't be stubborn. Don't be stubborn. Come down. I want you to come to Jerusalem. Now watch this. Verse 10. So the post messengers passed from city to city through the country of Ephraim and Manasseh, even to Zebulun, so they're way, way up north. But they laughed them to scorn and mocked them. You're going to do what? Worship God? You want us to go? You got to be kidding well those are your god of abraham isaac and jacob that's your family line ah you're silly that's the last thing we're going to do is go to jerusalem and so that's the reception he get nevertheless verse 11 divers of asher manasseh and zebulun humbled themselves and came to jerusalem there it is there's the answer what keeps people away from church? There's an arrogance, a pride. I said, I did it because I didn't think it was right, or I didn't like this, or I was angry at that, and I'm not going to put up with that. And then <laughs> there are people who say, you know, I could have been wrong. I could have been wrong. And so I want to go back. This is very timely, my friends. This is a very timely passage. And so some of the people do. They go back. Verse 12, also in Judah the hand of God was to give them one heart to do the commandment of the king of the princes by the word of the Lord. So they start coming from way up north. Zebulon is way, way up here. Way up here. Zebulon, where they came from. Way down here, it's about four or five days journey down to Jerusalem, and they come, travel down in spite of the, their neighbors who are mocking and scorning it. They say, no, I think I want to go, and so they go. Now, here's where I think it's pretty fascinating. Chapter 30, verse 17. There were many in the congregation that come, oh, lots of them. Many in the congregation were not sanctified. Therefore the Levites had the charge of killing the Passovers for everyone that was not clean to sanctify them to the Lord. For a multitude of the people, even many of Ephraim, Manasseh, Issachar, Zebulon, had not cleansed themselves, yet did they eat the Passover otherwise than it was written. So if you're going to eat Passover, you got to make sure you're clean. Now you recall, you recall that the night that Jesus was arrested, remember they come to Pilate's house? They say, we're not going in your house. We will not enter Pilate's house. You're a Gentile. And if we go in there, we'll be unclean and can't eat Passover. So they stood outside of Pilate's house and he had to come out to them. They want to be unclean. You're supposed to be clean. Make sure you keep yourselves right. And these people really never had any chance or time to do it. They arrive in Jerusalem when it's time to have Passover. And so it says the Levites who had made themselves clean with the 28 sin offerings, said, well, we'll kill the lamb for you. Now, you. Of course, you know you're supposed to kill the lamb, right? 
If you bring a lamb for Passover, they give you the knife and you slit its throat. That was always the way sacrifices were done. But they said, we'll do the killing for you. Because you haven't had time to get here and do the way the law says. So you should have had, if it was all perfect, you're going to come down and you're going to uh, uh, get yourself clean, wait for seven days. You say, why did they do that? Why did they do that? Why did you have to wait for seven days? Why did God set up that kind of rule? Well, God wants you to think about what you do wrong. He says, you say you've done something wrong. Okay, why don't you go think about it. Think about what you've done wrong. When you thought about it for a week, then come on back and we'll take care of business. And that's really what these old laws are about. You know, in Jesus' time, they're counting every little thing and they're counting days and hours and everything. It wasn't really about counting days and hours. It was about thinking about it. You've done something wrong, you want to fix it, you're going to think about it. And so uh, here comes these people who for generations have, haven't done this. And uh, they're coming down and they're, uh, they can't do all the things that are required. But look what it says at the end of verse 18. Hezekiah prayed for them saying, The good Lord pardon everyone that prepareth his heart to seek God, the Lord God of his Father, though he be not cleansed according to the purification of the sanctuary. He said, look, as far as I'm concerned, you coming here is proof enough for me. And so I'm going to ask God that you can participate in this. And 20, the Lord hearkened to Hezekiah and healed the people. God said, I agree. I think you're right, Hezekiah. I agree with you, and I'm going to forgive these people, even though they didn't follow all the little rules it was in their heart to come after so long, and so they have come. And I'm so thankful, he says, that they're here. It just thrills me. Verse 26, so there was great joy in Jerusalem, for since the time of Solomon, <coughs> son of David, king of Israel, there was not the like in Jerusalem. They hadn't had Passover for all those generations. They just threw it out. And God said, this is a memorial. Passover is a memorial. You are to do it every year. So you never forget what? That God delivered you from slavery in Egypt. And, that, and you've got to remember that every year. I want you to remember what God did. And they hadn't done it for generations. And now Hezekiah has done this. Come on down. Let's all get together. Let's do the right thing. And so it's a wonderful thing that he did. And notice he prayed. Because I think if you really want to know the power of Hezekiah, is that he prayed. That was it. He said to God, do you mind if we bend your rules? <laughs> and God lots of times says, yeah, it's okay. You can bend a little, you know. You can. Even though the rules had a purpose, you can still bend the rules a little. So, look what he's done. He's reestablished worship in the temple, brought the priests back. The people of Jerusalem are making sacrifices by the hundreds up into the thousands thanking God for the chance to finally get it together. And then he says, hey, let's have a holiday. Let's make Passover. That's why holidays are called holidays, holy days. It was God's idea to give us holidays. So don't ever say, Christmas is just for kids. Don't be stupid like that. <laughs> All right, God gave us holidays. And he wants us to remember things. 
Think about the birth of Christ. Think of Good Friday about the death of Christ. Never lay that down. Don't ever lay it down. I want you to remember. And finally, after so many generations, Hezekiah draws people from all over. After those kingdoms had been divided for generations, he pulled them back together, brought them to Jerusalem, and they did Passover. He's got his head together. He knows what it's all about. This guy is a great leader, and we can't figure out how the heck he figured out how to do it. His father was such a bad apple. Like I said, had to be mom that put him in the right place. And then it, she must have taught him to pray. Teach children to pray. And you keep them safe for years. Teach them to pray. And she must have taught him to pray because he, he's pretty daring. He goes to God and say, you know, all these people, I want them to have Passover. And I know it breaks the rules, and they're not supposed to take Passover if they're unclean. But I just think it's the right thing to do, and God says, amen, let's do it. Let's forgive. It's a wonderful example of the generosity of God, how good he is if we ask, if we ask for the right things. So this guy is a shining example how to do it right. He's really got it together. Now, <clears throat> verse 26 again, chapter 30. Watch this. And so there was great joy in Jerusalem for since the time of Solomon, the son of David, king of Jerusalem, Israel, was not the like in Jerusalem. Priests and Levites arose, blessed the people, and their voice was heard, and their prayer came up to his holy dwelling place, even unto heaven. And so it's a wonderful uh, beginning. Now, chapter 31, next chapter, we're just going to go to verse 20. Thus did Hezekiah throughout all Judah, wrought which was good and right and truth before the Lord his God in every work that he began the service of the house of the God and the law and the commandments to seek his God. He did it with all his heart and prospered. Got it together. God gives a full stamp of approval. Watch this, chapter 31, verse 1. After these things, and the establishment thereof, Sennacherib, king of Syria, came, entered into Judah, and camped against the fenced cities, and thought to win them for himself. <laughs> this guy has done everything right. He's opened the house of God, brought the priest back, made his sin sacrifices, and even proclaimed a Passover that hadn't been done since Solomon. Several hundred years before, he gets a Passover going, and, he, and this stamp of approval says everything in his heart was perfect. He did everything right. And by the way, right after that, he was invaded by Sennacherib, the king of Assyria. Why did God do that? Why did God do that? What about God and Hezekiah? You see, a lot of times you want to blame God. Say, oh my goodness, God, what were you thinking you let that happen? A lot of times you don't blame God like that. What were you thinking, God? Why did you do this? Look at this guy, he's wonderful, he's on your side doing all these beautiful things, and what do you do with him? You allow the same king to come out of Assyria that wiped out Samaria, the northern kingdom, now he's come down around Jerusalem and he is besieging your city. Why did God do that? <clears throat> because sometimes in life, my friends, we live in a time. We live in an age. We live where things happen to us. And we can't say, well, why do you got to do that? Why do you got to do that? It's just the way things are as the history unfolds. And he lived in a time where these, this Assyria was going around the whole world taking it over. 
and he was next on the list. <clears throat> so they just did. And you can't say, well, oh, God, why did God do that? Well, uh, that's what happens. In our lives, things come along that are part of the times that we live in. We say, well, why did we have trouble uh, with uh, COVID? It's just not. It's what's out there. And it comes to us. It's not a punishment. It's not a punishment from God. It's just living in these times, we are subject to the same thing that everybody else is. So we can get COVID, and we can go through these trials, and that's the way it is. And uh, so a lot of people are complaining now about the government. Believe me, I'm not thrilled with the government at all, all right? But... It's the time we live in. It's the kind of world that we live in, and we're going to have to live in this world and come out the right way. Now, uh, this guy, Hezekiah, has a good habit. Pray to God. Pray to God. And so, when this king comes down, uh, he's pretty uh, sharp character. He's kind of got ways that he knows how to do things. And so here we have the invasion. Now we're going to turn over to 2 Kings. 2 Kings where the story is taken up over there. 2 Kings I'm looking at chapter 18. It's the same story. It's just told a little bit better over here in 2 Kings. 2 Kings Chapter 18. Now he's got Sennacherib. He's the general, the great general of the Assyrians. He's not so much the king of Assyria, but he's as good as the king. He's in charge, and uh, he's the guy that has been going from nation to nation, taking the places over. And so, uh, 2 Kings 18 in verse 28. Now, he's surrounded the walls of Jerusalem with his army. It's a considerably large army. And he says, I want to talk to you people in the city. Well, he can't talk because he doesn't speak Hebrew. So he finds one of his people that speak Hebrew. And he said, you're going to go outside the walls of Jerusalem and you're going to shout this message in Hebrew. I want them to know what I'm thinking. And so here's this guy. You listen to what the message is. Uh, 1 Kings 18, verse 28. When uh, Rabshakeh, and that's the guy that speaks uh, the Jews' language, stood and cried in a loud voice in the Jews' language and spake, saying, Hear the word of the great king, the king of Assyria. Thus saith the king, Let not Hezekiah deceive you, for he shall not be able to deliver you out of his hand. Neither let Hezekiah make you trust in the Lord, saying, The Lord shall surely deliver us, and the city shall not be delivered into the hand of Assyria. Neither hearken to Hezekiah, for thus saith the king of Assyria, Make an agreement with me by a present. Come out to me. Then eat every man of his own vine, every one of his fig tree, and drink ye every one of the waters of his cistern. Till I come, take you away to a land like your own, a land of corn and wine, a land of bread and vineyards, land of oil and honey, that you may not live, that you may live and not die. Hearken not to Hezekiah, and he persuadeth you, saying, The Lord will deliver us. Has any of the gods of the nations delivered at all the land out of the hand of the king of Assyria? So he's saying out there, Hey, you don't listen to Hezekiah. He's lying to you. Find me any nation that has stood against us. Is there any? No, there isn't any. In fact, man, there isn't any. Then he says, and that God you worship, we went up in Samaria, took care of them. So it must be your God is not much good. Now, of course, they were worshiping God in Samaria. That's a little fact that he's ignoring, okay? 
So all you people, this Hezekiah, he's leading you astray. And uh, you really should rethink this whole thing. We'll take you to a good place and let you live if you come out and give up. But don't listen to Hezekiah. He's going to kill you. Verse 36. And but the people held their peace and answered him not a word, for the king's men was saying, Answer him not. They knew what he was doing. And so Hezekiah says, Look, you guys, don't make any deals. Don't do anything with this guy. Just keep your mouth shut. That's a good thing to do when somebody's uh, saying things against you or against God, particularly against you and God together. So they didn't say anything. Hezekiah's response, chapter 19, he gets a letter from the king of Assyria. Hey, I'm warning you, this is it. Verse 14, Hezekiah received the letter of the hand of the messengers and read it. Hezekiah went up to the house of the Lord and spread it before the Lord. He goes into that temple that he just opened. Plays this letter right out. Says, here's the letter, God. And Hezekiah prayed before the Lord and said, O Lord, God of Israel, dwelleth between the cherubims. Thou art the God alone, even thou of all the kingdoms of the earth has made heaven and earth. Lord, bow down thine ear and hear. Open, Lord, thine eyes and see and hear the words of Sennacherib, which have sent to be a reproach to the living God. Of a truth, Lord, the kings of Assyria have destroyed the nations and their lands and have cast their gods into the fire, for they were no gods, but the work of men's hands wouldn't stone. Therefore they destroyed them. Now therefore, O Lord God, I beseech thee, save thou us out of his hand, and all the kings of earth may know that thou art the Lord God, even thou alone. So, prayer. It's a prayer again. And he's praying to God. And the response in verse 20 is Isaiah 20. And Isaiah the son of Amoz sent to Hezekiah saying, Thus saith the Lord of Israel, that which thou hast prayed to me against Sennacherib king of Syria, I have heard. Nice thing to know. Isaiah said, hey, I, I want you to know, God wants you to know he heard your prayer. When you laid the letter out and when you prayed, God help us. God help us. He heard. He was listening. Now down to verse uh, 32. Therefore, thus saith the Lord concerning the king of Assyria, he shall not come to this city, nor shoot an arrow there, nor come before it with shield, nor cast a bank against it. By the way that he came, by the same shall he return, and shall not come into the city, saith the Lord, for I will defend this city and save it for mine own sake, my servant David. Isaiah sends a message. God said, don't worry about it. He's not even going to shoot one arrow at you. He's not going to build up uh, uh, dirt uh, ramps so that he can go over the wall. Nothing's going to work. God says he's going to get rid of this guy for you, so don't worry about it. So he prays. Isaiah says, God heard. Here's God's message. You're okay. You're going to be safe. Now watch this. Verse 35 came to pass that night that the angel of the Lord went out and smote in the camp of Assyria 104 score and 5,000. That's 185,000 soldiers. And when they rose early in the morning, behold, they were all dead corpses. Killed a whole army in one night. Uh, history says there was a plague, some sort of a plague that ran through the army, but God said, I said, I mean, they're not coming. They're not going to shoot an arrow at you. So they're done like dinner. The next day, they're all dead. <laughs> done. I mean, no kidding. They're done. They're out, wiped out. And so uh, 36, Snackrib, king of Assyria, departed. <laughs> you bet he did. 
And he went and in return and dwelt at Nineveh. It came to pass as he was worshiping in the house of Nishrod, his god, that Adramelech and Sharazur, his sons, smote him with a sword and they escaped to the land of Armenia. And so his own sons killed him while he was worshiping his god. Worshiping my god. Yeah, kind of got whipped down there at Jerusalem. You bet he got whipped. You bet he did. So it's a very powerful prayer, fella, uh, Hezekiah. Now, there's more. There's more to it. Uh, chapter 20. Verse 1. In those days was Hezekiah sick unto death. And the prophet Isaiah, the son of Amos, came to him, said unto him, Thus saith the Lord, Set thy house in order, for thou shalt die and not live. He said, Wait a minute. <laughs> he had a full deliverance from the whole army, wiped out in one night, and now uh, gets a message from Isaiah. His buddy says, You're going to die. God said, You're going to die. You're not going to live. What do you want to do about that? What do you think he did? Verse 2, he turned his face to the wall and prayed unto the Lord. There's two kinds of prayers you see with Hezekiah. When he brings that letter up uh, to the Lord and lays it out, uh, he's, he's pouring out his heart. Uh, he feels helpless, surrounded by... Uh, uh, an advancing army that has never lost a battle. Here, he says, you're going to die, and it changes, and it's okay that it changes. Sometimes we're helpless in the situations of this world. We can't do anything about it. What are you going to do about COVID? I can't do anything about it. And we're going to have to live through it. And sometimes that's the way to Other times, now here he says, you're going to die. And he, tests, he turned his face to the wall that is with a broken heart. He doesn't want to die. And he asks God, please, God, will you let me live? Verse 3, I beseech you, O Lord, remember now how I have walked before thee in truth with a perfect heart and have done that which is good in thy sight. And Hezekiah wept sore. So Isaiah, who delivered the message, He's halfway out the building, and God said, turn around. What? Go back. Why? Tell him he's going to live. Just like that. <laughs> you like to get prayers answered like that, wouldn't you? Before the guy gets out the door, like get your prayer answered. Well, Hezekiah knew how to talk to God. And he says, tell him, go back, and tell him he's going to live. Okay, well, he's going to want to know how long. Tell him 15 years. Okay, so he went back and he said, you're going to live. God changed his mind. Did God change his mind? Tough question. Hard to figure God sometimes. Why would he send him that message and before the guy's out the door, change it? Because he's pulling up... I, uh, Hezekiah's heart. He said, well, Hezekiah, you came out on top of all this, and so you've done real well, and you've been a great king. Let's see what you really think about life. He said, I want to live. It's okay. I'll let you live 15 years. And Hezekiah says to Isaiah, it's a great thing, he says, uh, I want proof. I want God to show me something so I know. Then Isaiah says, well, here's what God said he'll do. You can uh, see the sundial shadow move ahead a couple hours, or you can see it move back. And he said, well, you know, if the shadows are right and the clouds are right, it will move ahead, but it never goes back." So I'd like to see the sundial go backwards. And Isaiah said, that's what you want. God said he'd do it. And so the sundial went back a few hours and then came back again. And that was proof for Hezekiah 
that uh, it was just what God wanted. And so he got life. He got his life back. He's doing great, isn't he? He's come through everything, was sailing out. And he probably thinks, I am doing pretty good. Verse 12. At, time, at that time, Barodak Baladan, that's quite a name, son of Baladan, king of Babylon, sent letters and a present to Hezekiah, for he heard that Hezekiah had been sick. So Hezekiah's fame has gone all over now because uh, a Syrian army is dead outside his gate. And the fame of it spreads across to another kingdom on its way up to power. It will soon destroy Assyria. Babylon. They send him a present. 13. Hezekiah hearkened to them and showed them all the house of the, his precious things, silver, gold, spices, precious ointment, all the house of his armor, all that was found in his treasures, and nothing in his house or in his dominion that Hezekiah showed them not. So he says, come on, in the house of God, and we can look at the gold. I'm in my house. I got all these weapons. Show you everything I got. 14. Then came Isaiah the prophet to King Hezekiah. I said unto him, What said these men? From whence came they unto thee? Hezekiah said, They come from a far country, even Babylon. He said, What they have, and what have they seen in thy house? And Hezekiah answered, All the things that are in my house have they seen. There's nothing among my treasures which I have not showed them. Isaiah said to Hezekiah, Hear the word of the Lord. Behold, the days come that all that is in thy house, which thy fathers are laid up in store to this day, shall be carried into Babylon. Nothing shall be left, saith the Lord. <clears throat> oh, that's such a knife in the back. What's God doing to Hezekiah? Well, Hezekiah got a little bit of a big head. After all, he's one of the great kings in the whole history of Israel. Besides David and probably Jehoshaphat, stands Hezekiah. He's reformed, opened the temple up, brought the priesthood in, had a great Passover, and just turned that place around and called people back to God, been delivered from the king of Assyria, and now these guys come from Babylon. Let me show you what I got. <laughs> Look at that. Look at my stuff. And God sends a message. Those people you showed, they're going to take everything you own. And Hezekiah said, before I die? He said, no, after. He said, well, I'm thankful for that anyways. And Hezekiah died. And it was only a couple more kings before that's exactly what Babylon did. And we have the wonderful story of the handwriting on the wall in the book of Daniel. And what are they doing? They're drinking alcohol from the cups that Hezekiah showed them. They got gold and silver cups that they took out of the temple, took to Babylon. And the king of Babylon is drinking and praising the God of gold and praising the God of silver. Those are the very things that Hezekiah showed the Babylonians. They took them just like Isaiah said they would and they show up where? Uh, in Babylon. Till God's hand writes on the wall, meeny, meeny, tickle you farson. You have been weighed and measured and found wanting. And your kingdom ends tonight. He brought down the end of the Babylonian kingdom. In amazing fall, the city fell in one night without a shot fired as they drank from the cups that Hezekiah showed the people of Babylon. Did he make a mistake? Yeah. But we're not going to hold that against him. He prayed to forgive these other people, right? And God said, okay. And God forgave Hezekiah. 
Hezekiah, you get up in heaven, you meet him, you'd be very impressed. You bow down and say, you're quite a fella. God bless you. You did well. You did well. So here's a guy really had his act together and made a little mistake right at the end, except for one thing. In the 15 years that he lived, he had a son named Manasseh. So his father, Ahaz, is the scum of the earth. And Hezekiah is way up on top of the list. He has a son in that 15 years named Manasseh. And Manasseh becomes worse than any other king before Figure it out. I can't. I can't. Now you think, well, didn't Hezekiah raise him right? Apparently not. Apparently not. So what these passages are trying to tell us uh, is children raised wrong create horrible disappointments in the future. We need to do our best to raise them right. That's Hezekiah and God. Thank you.